Hi everyone, welcome to episode one of the Bleeding Edge podcast. On this show we talk about the people, the projects and the technologies that are transforming the way we live and work. Every week we will have an exciting lineup of leaders that are uh, operating at the Bleeding Edge. It's a dangerous place to be and our panel of experts will give their views on what it will take to break through into mainstream adoption. In today's episode we somewhat predictably ask our expert panel what the bleeding edge is to them. Before we hear from them, let's just set the scene on the bleeding edge. As of February 2020, you're able to hire your first digital employee for $1,800 a month. Rather excitingly, these digital employees have been trained in SAP, Oracle, Microsoft. They'll do your email administration. Now, You might think this is, in fact, rather quite boring, but it's really moved the bleeding edge of AI within distance uh, of every company that is using Microsoft 365. And it's as easy as hiring an employee online. Our friendly neighborhood epidemic has uh, driven the adoption of virtual training to unseen levels. So we've had five years of digital adoption in the last two weeks alone, and we're certainly seeing the uh, bleeding edge moving on education. So why do we care about the bleeding edge? Well, it's where the madmen and the innovators play. It's where fortunes and reputations are won and lost. It's where we win and lose as humanity evolves. And uh, if we kind of just consider, you know, will the adoption of the digital employee become commonplace? Well, that's the kind of question we're going to consider on this show. And uh, we will explore these and others on the bleeding edge. So uh, let's introduce our panel. On our panel today, we have three experts. First up is Donish Mishra. He started out as a rocket scientist and now heads up a data science team understanding how organization networks deliver competitive advantage. Donish, what is the bleeding edge to you? What is bleeding edge? Now that is a very interesting question. My first instinct is, to fall back to what Thomas Kuhn described as paradigm shift. Uh, Not the kind of paradigm shift which every Tom, Dick and Harry uses without truly understanding what it is. When Kuhn uses it or when I'm trying to understand bleeding edge, what I mean by that is the point where our existing knowledge, our existing understanding of the world, the science, fails to address the issue at hand or the problem or whatever it is. It could be a new phenomena that we have observed. And that becomes bleeding edge. Now, when I look at it from a, you know, a, a network science perspective, or graph theory, or, you know, looking at it from performance in network perspective, what is the bleeding edge? Uh, when I look at that, the bleeding edge, that paradigm shift is towards the uh, the distributed processing, you know, when the solution is not coming from this one great genius, mad, mad genius working by himself or herself in the in a basement somewhere, but it is within the network, right? The wisest person is not one single individual, but all of us. So why not pool our resources and come up with something truly fundamental, truly transformative. So when we talk about bleeding edge in network performance, it is about this distributed processing working towards addressing one question, 
or trying to find solution to a particular problem. In such a scenario, you take one individual and what I call network exaggerates that individual's ability because what's happening is you come up with one idea and you are approaching it from a certain point of view, but there are three other people in this network who might not know that area as well as you do, but who bring their own expertise from a completely different perspective. And as we know, truly amazing radical innovation happens when you bring people with different perspectives. And networks are a fundamentally, uh, you know, fantastic tool for that sort of process to happen. They, they facilitate that process. They exaggerate this effect. They amplify that effect. So the bleeding edge would be, you know, in, in, in networks, when you're talking about performance, is getting these individuals into those network positions where they can truly transform the entire system by plugging into it and exaggerating everyone's expertise as well as their own. Give us a network performance point of view. So to summarize, what is bleeding edge in networks and in network performance? In today's modern world, for me, what bleeding edge means is it, it, it consists of three things, three phenomena that are happening in parallel. One, we have hit a limit of our existing understanding of the world and the phenomena or the problems we are facing. Uh, B, the second thing which is happening in parallel is there's this group of individuals who have formed a relationship and the total expertise of that network is much, much greater than some of the parts, individual parts, because network exaggerates everyone's expertise. It amplifies it by adding different disparate voices to it. And the third is, the third aspect of this bleeding edge phenomena is these two things, hitting the ceiling of our knowledge, the network of experts coming together and see creating new knowledge, new understandings, new tools to address the problem which led to hitting that ceiling. Thank you, Danish. When science fails to address the problem at hand, what a great line. Next up is Matt Silva. Matt is running a special needs school. Uh, let's ask Matt what the bleeding edge looks like inside education. I'm a head teacher in a special needs school in Harrow. And at the moment, the bleeding edge to me is so apparent across education. We are seeing a wave of complex uh, problems coming from corona that is essentially shaking a very rigid system and hopefully that shake is going to be big enough and and sustained enough that that it will be having lasting impact traditionally education has been a very hierarchical system with the government uh, particularly the dfe making policies uh, forming the national curriculum keeping a linear system and this system is now having to wake up and really respond to the challenges of of corona, as well as many other uh, developments in technology and the, and the rate of change in that technology curve that has inevitably been coming to the system. I think what we're seeing here is a, a real wake-up call. And with the right mindset of leader and the capacity uh, developed of that leader, we're seeing an opportunity here to actually change the system for the long term. 
to open it up and increase the autonomy for our teachers and our learners to really take charge of, of what learning is to them and where we can move forward, simply because our leaders do not have the technological capacity and expertise that even our most complex learners, as they are in our school, are finding they do actually have. So how do we make sure that we've got this opportunity to really see this as a let's go, let, let's build this, let's fly into the future, let's catch up with business and the rate of change that their systems and organisations are capable of, because essentially, without that hierarchy, we can pivot much faster in times of change and therefore ready our students for learning far beyond the school and into their lives in the 21st century in an extremely VUCA world, which is only giving us more and more reason to ready our students for it, uh, both for survival and fulfilment. So we see this as a real opportunity to make a leap forward in, in what it is that we're doing. So my question to the education system is, how far do we let ourselves step back? But also, how far do we let our students move us forward? Powerful words there from Matt. Steve Coomber is a media communications expert. He's express office for number 10 and a graduate in communications from London School of Economics. I think he's a secret spin doctor. See what you make of it. Thanks, Ralph. Uh, I certainly wouldn't describe myself as a spin doctor, but uh, I do work in communications. Um, to me, the bleeding edge is still very much about influencing through networks. Um, in some way, it sounds a bit old hat because social media has been around for long enough. But this is still really driven by personal use and companies and organisations are responding to that. Uh, the next big shift is how we actually organise ourselves. And I think that network communications will guide that. Uh, most listeners will have encountered internal social media, such as Yammer or Slack, these kind of platforms. I expect they'll also have mixed experience of how effective they are, you know, how many people are using them and that kind of thing. You know, it's worth asking yourself, why is it that they don't just don't take off uh, inside organisations, social media like this, in, in the way it has outside, where people post so much about their lives online? Well, I think it's because the hierarchical structures that we tend to work in want to control the messages that are sent out. And they can do that quite easily internally because they own these channels and, and can just dictate what goes out. Doesn't make it interesting, of course, but they can do that. And the hierarchy doesn't necessarily want discussion. It wants obedience because it's geared towards command and control that may be useful in some situations, but not when you're looking to develop the innovation and creativity that's so important today. Uh, technology companies seem to know this, um, but public services and manufacturers are all organisations that could benefit. Um, and I like to see it perhaps as an example of the free market. Uh, we see you set the ground rules and then you let people go and freely trade and share ideas and invest and grow. And the famous academic, Manuel Castells, who coined the term network society, um, says that networks automatically weed out inefficiency. So you can imagine the flow of information through the network if it gets to somewhere that is... Uh, is not helpful or isn't doing its job properly um, that that it will take a different route and and thereby start promoting 
that part of the network um, at the expense of the part that's not working so well. And we see exactly the same idea working and market forces weed out the weak businesses and uh, investors go, of course, to uh, where uh, where they get the most value. Um, and so how do you get that kind of benefit in these organisations? And this comes through uh, communications and Castell says that these that this network won't take off until you establish the social norms that people feel safe to communicate in these ways and that, that they feel uh, invited to be part of the discussion and I think this is where communicators need to really start leading um, to build these network communications I mean we've learned enough from external uh, use of social media to be able to do this internally now um, leadership needs to be brave enough to allow people to discuss ideas um, rather than just to be told what to do and then they'll start getting these benefits. Um, that's the bleeding edge. That brings us to the end of our episode this week. Thanks to our expert panel, Dr. Donish Mishra, Matt Silver and Steve Coomber. If you've made it this far, you will want to consider subscribing so you don't miss the show next week. We're going to be talking waste, media and virtual classrooms. This was The Bleeding Edge. I'm your host, Ralph Benker.